Most of you know that we are on week number six of a sermon series that we are calling Reaching the Remnant. I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this or not, but Melissa and I are passionate about seeing young people be and do everything that they can in and through Christ Jesus. Have I ever mentioned that? Did you pick that up? Now listen, when I, say, when I say young, I'm not necessarily just saying Soma kids. I'm not just saying Soma youth. I'm saying Soma you. Point to yourself and say Soma me. I'm talking young and old because all of us are in this together to reach the remnant. Remember we said earlier that it takes a village to raise a child. And it, it, it's true that it takes a generation To reach a generation. Psalm 71 verse 17. The psalmist says, Oh God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood. And I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, oh God. Let me proclaim your power to the new generation. Your mighty miracles to all who come after me. And then in Psalm 78, it says, We will not hide these truths from our children. Put your hand over your heart and say that together. We will not hide these truths from our children. It goes on to say, we will tell the next generation. Did you know that Jesus said, I tell you the truth 78 times? It's what he would say whenever he really needed the crowd to hear and heed what he was about to say. And tonight, I really, really need you to hear and heed everything that I'm going to say because I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to hide these things from you. I'm not going to hide them from your children because there is an enemy who is coming to rob their identity and rob their destiny. And he's doing a fantastic job. Because the up-and-coming generation are growing further and further from a desire to even talk about the Lord, much less to follow Him and consider His will, consider His ways. His strategy is working, and it's so similar to the strategy that Nebuchadnezzar used there in the book of Daniel, chapter 1. It's so similar of how he was robbing the identity and destiny of young people then, that it would behoove us to pay attention to what's going on there. So let's look. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1. And we've been in Daniel chapter 1 for, for like six weeks. And we're not really doing a study through the book of Daniel. We're touching down and we've, we're spending a lot of our time in this space, Daniel chapter 1, because it teaches us how to live in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's do a quick recap. Nebuchadnezzar ransacks Jerusalem. And it says that he goes into Israel's holy temple and takes some of their sacred things. He steals some of their sacred things. And he also captures, he takes, he steals the best and the brightest young men. And then he orders them to learn the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And we talked about what that was last week. How many of you were here last week and and heard that? 
So Nebuchadnezzar comes in, steals stuff, captures these boys, gets them learning the Chaldean curriculum. And in verse 5, it says that the king also appointed them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. Verse 8 says, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself by eating of the food from the king's table and drinking the wine in which he drank. Okay, last week we talked about the wine. If you were here, you, you remember, we talked about the wine and how Daniel refused to drink it because it was what the Babylonians would use at times when they were worshiping false idols. It's like we see there in chapter 5. You can read it on your own. In Belshazzar's feast. Okay, we talked about that. Please go back and listen to that. You're going to be like, what? Tonight I want to talk about the food. Okay? So dial in why he may or may not have eaten the food. And we're not really going to talk as much about the food, focus on the food, as much as we are what the food can represent in our lives. As far as Daniel goes, he may not have eaten the food because it wasn't kosher. I mean, it could be that simple. Leviticus 11 talks about the kosher laws, the things that Israel could eat and the things that they weren't supposed to eat. Certain things, if they ate them, it would make them unclean. Or it would defile them. Remember, he said, I made up in my mind. I'm not going to defile myself with the king's food. But it also could have been that he didn't want to partake of that food because it was food, specifically maybe the meat, had been sacrificed to idols. Something that goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel, which is what we talked about last week. Okay, And honestly, it was probably both. That some of the food wasn't kosher. And some of the food had been sacrificed to idols. But again, tonight's not as much about what the food was, what the food wasn't, but about Daniel's desire not to defile himself. So the food really can represent just about anything that is put before us. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Let's just read a little bit. So Daniel sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. Why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then he would make me forfeit my head. He'd cut off my head if you guys ended up looking terrible. But Daniel said to the overseer from the commander of the officials had been appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, or Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. And so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the other youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Okay, so as it relates to the food assigned or appointed, your translation may say, the food assigned or appointed to Daniel and these boys, Daniel makes a request. 
please allow us an alternative. He asks for vegetables instead. And he says, test us for 10 days and see how we look compared to all the other people eating the king's choice food. Don't you love, don't you love the way he didn't have an attitude about it? He wasn't like, I mean, he says, Daniel made up his mind. He's not going to defile himself. And then he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. It was that simple. He didn't have this attitude. He wasn't like, you know, if I have to eat the devil's food, I'm not going to eat it all. He just says, could we have an alternative? Would we please be allowed an alternative? And it says at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating all the food from the king's table. And again, I'm not, I'm not really talking about food here, although I could, because if I consistently asked for a healthier alternative, I might look much different. <laughs> Can I get an amen in the house? Remember what we've said. We've said that Egypt in Scripture was a type of the world, a picture, a type, or a shadow of the world, specifically how God brought us out of the world, brought Israel out of Egypt, brought us out of the world. It's a type of how he saved us, delivered us from the power of the world in and through Jesus Christ. But Babylon, Babylon is a picture of how we are supposed to remain in the world, but live like Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what this whole book, really the first half especially, is about. So Babylon is a picture of living in the world by the Spirit, And Nebuchadnezzar really is a type of Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that Satan is the ruler of this world. It says in Ephesians 2 2 that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, right? You you keep this in mind. I want to talk about I want to talk about a meal that's coming from the king's table that I believe we should be asking for an alternative. And that is smartphones with a side of social media. Thank you for that laugh. I felt affirmed. I felt empowered. I felt like someone liked me. That's the food I want to talk about. That's the meal. Smartphones with a side of social media. And you guys know I like to give a sermon in the sentence. So here it is. A steady diet of smartphones with a side of social media is shaping our kids' identities and stealing their destinies. Now I want you to really hear what I'm saying. Focus in on what I'm saying. The last generation that can recall a different way of relating to the world around them is about to stop having Babies. People who remember life without the internet. People who remember when researching and learning took way more thought and effort. How many of you remember those days? People who remember what it was like without smartphones or without cell phones altogether. The days when kids 
only had to play the, um, the comparison game. You guys know what I'm talking about? The comparison game. What kind of shoes you got on? What kind of clothes you wear? What, you hear what I'm saying? What kind of car do you step out of when mom drops you off at school? You know, those comparison games. Some of us remember a day when the only time we had to deal with that was with the kids at our school. And even kids in our grade. It's not like we were, you know, it's like, well, the ones in my class are making fun of the way I dress. You know what I mean? Some of us remember that and only had to deal with bullies that were on our playground. Versus cyber bullies. It's a thing. Days when teenagers actually wanted to go out and hang out with their friends, like go and hang out with their friends and counted down the days to when they could get their driver's license. How many of you remember that? And looked forward to getting jobs where they can go earn some of that cash so they can go spend that cash while they're out with their friends. In the car that they drove themselves to the mall with by themselves, et cetera, et cetera. And I could go on and on and on and on and talk about all kinds of stuff about how life is different now. And, and for all of us, but especially young people. And I know that the last several generations have been able to say that, you know, about the next generation, the older generation to the next generation have been able to say it's different when I was a kid. You know, that probably goes all the way back at least to the late 1800s, you know what I mean? Because before then, things were pretty slow moving, right? But we are living, and I I said this a few weeks ago, we are living in a very pivotal season in history. We have an opportunity now to sow something into our kids, something that... that, um, is reminiscent of a different day, a different way of interacting with the world. We have the ability to view the world right now and where it's headed through very different lenses. You hear what I'm saying? We, we can see what's going on in the world, and we view it in a different way than they would have like in you know, 1895. Did they think the world was coming to an end? Yeah, but we, we're viewing things in a much different way than in 1895. Even different than in 1995. You know, young people born between 1995 and 2012 are being called the iGen. The iGeneration. They grew up with smartphones. That's all, that's all they've known. They had Instagram before they even entered into high school. And they can't remember a time before the internet. They, just, they don't know it. They can't relate to that. And they're more comfortable in their bedrooms than they are out with their friends, in a car, walking down the mall, hanging out at a party. They don't have the desire to go out. They don't have as much the desire to get out, which means that they are physically safer than any other generation that's probably been on the planet. And that's something to celebrate, right? We can appreciate that, that kids are more safe than they've ever been. But studies are telling us that iGen 
is on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. And it's not because of world wars. It's not because of great depressions or even bad recessions. It's not because of political upheaval. Well, the kids are just stressed out about what's going on in the White House. No, they're not. (laughs) They're just not. IGN is on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. And a lot of this can be traced back to their phones because they are living their lives on their smartphones. Let me say it this way. The generation that is about to be responsible for populating the earth (laughs) and, and propagating ideologies, philosophies, even spirituality, you know, the ones that are going to be the future presidents and the future principals at schools and even future pastors, that generation is struggling with loneliness and displacement. They're struggling with fear and anxiety. They're struggling with depression and suicide. There's been a spike in the graph, people. They're struggling with mental and physical exhaustion. The I generation. Listen, I read that even kids themselves are starting to link some of their troubles to their iPhones, to their smartphones, to what is consistently and constantly in their hands. Do you guys remember... When God asked Moses, when he had called Moses up, look at the burning bush. He's calling Moses to go back to Egypt, deliver his people. Do you remember what he asked Moses? Moses was having a hard time with this. I don't speak well. I don't do things well. I'm kind of scared. I'm nervous. What if they kill me? They tried to kill me when I left. And God just said, what's that in your hand? Now, why is that important? Because the first time Moses tried to rescue the people, he had a sword in his hand. You remember that? He was a Hebrew, but he was raised as the prince of Egypt. He was highly educated in the ideology, the philosophy, even the spirituality, the religion of the Egyptians. He was highly trained and skilled in war and combat. It's just what he had. That's that's what was in his hands. That's what had come out of Pharaoh's court. That's what had been handed to him. You could say that that is the food that came off the king's table. Moses was 40 years old when he realized the calling on his life, and he tried to walk it out with what Pharaoh had put in his hand. Remember, he killed an Egyptian who was mistreating an Israeli slave. But we know the story. We read that Pharaoh was angry with Moses and tried to kill Moses. So Moses fled Egypt. The reality is is that God was calling Moses out, right? Isn't that really what's going on in God's sovereignty? He was up to things nobody could even think or imagine. 
God calls him out, calls him to the backside of the desert, to a place called Midian. And for the next 40 years, lived a much different life. He went from being a a spoiled prince to a humble shepherd. How many of you have read the story? If you haven't, go back and read it. You know, 40 years earlier, 40 years earlier, if God had said, Moses, what's that in your hand? Moses would have said, a sword. But because of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, pick that up, the priest of Midian, his father-in-law had put something else in his hand. He taught him how to be a shepherd. And so now Moses' answer was a staff. Forty years earlier, it would have been a sword. But now it's a staff. And God told Moses, exactly. It's a staff in your hand. I put it there. Now take it back to Egypt. And you shall do my wonders. And you know the story he did. Again, Egypt is another type or example of the world. God was calling Moses out to lead the people. And it's interesting, 40 years. Because in the whole Exodus story, if you read it consistently, 40 years is a time frame of a generation. You can't miss that. Bottom line, we think that we are raising our kids, but the reality is is that God is calling our kids. Before we were ever raising our kids, before they were born in our house, God had already set them apart and called them, created them for a purpose. Amen? And their ability to answer that call effectively... Largely depends on what we, the priests of our homes, have put in their hands. Are you guys hearing me? And what is he calling our kids to be? Bottom line, shepherds upon this earth. Isn't that what he's really calling us all to be? Shepherds upon this earth to lead people away from the world and to his word. And you guys, listen, the world is desperate for a generation of Moses to answer the call of God on their lives. Can I get an amen? In Matthew 13, Jesus says, for, for this people's heart has grown calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see. And your ears because they hear. For truly, or I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men have longed to see what you see. The prophets who prophesied about the the day of the Lord, the coming of Jesus, they longed to see. And he's talking about the first coming. We've got to see the first coming. We're longing and listening to the prophets who's talked about the second coming. Amen? So this applies to us. Many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it. And hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And what are we seeing? I want you to think about it. What are we seeing right now upon the earth? If you really have eyes to see it and ears to hear it and hearts to understand it, what we see 
are the promises of God and the calloused hearts of men colliding. End times prophecies that tell us Jesus is coming back soon. We see those things coming to pass daily. And at the same time, we see people's hearts turning cold and turning away from the heart of God. I want you to watch this video really quick. Let me just say this as plainly as I can. I believe we have made a huge mistake in putting smartphones in the hands of our kids. I believe we have missed the mark and made a grave mistake in putting smartphones in the hands of our kids. We've given them full access to the ideologies, the philosophies, and spirituality of the world. We're asking them not to look at naked people when everything within them was created to want to. Instead of letting them compare the quality of who they are and what they do with the other kids in their neighborhood, we have let them compare themselves to the most talented kids from every nation. And somehow we don't think this is affecting them. Of course it is. It's affecting their identity. It's affecting their destiny. I didn't even know what homosexuality was until I was in junior high. And even then it was taboo. It was left to the imagination. You guys know what I'm saying? In your imagination, you were grossed out even at the thought of it. Our kids are watching it and accepting it as a valid alternative and encouraged to embrace it as their identity. I can remember learning guitar along several others my age and progressing as fast or maybe even a little faster than a few of them. Our kids compare themselves to progenies across the world. And they wonder why they can't get that good or whatever their area of interest is. I can remember being motivated by pats on the back, attaboys, my parents or my coaches or maybe a teacher. Our kids gauge their success on how many likes they get on whatever they put out on social media from people that they will most likely never see face to face. And we don't think that that contributes to the decline in the mental health of our young people that can directly be linked back to 2012. These things statistically can be traced back, these declines, the mental health issues, the decline, the growing depression and anxiety, all these things in in young people can be traced back. The spikes, the trends began 2012, which is the same year the amount of Americans that possessed smartphones topped 
50%. And we really don't think that a steady diet of smartphones with a side of social media is shaping our kids' identities and stealing their destinies. Listen, I could go on and on and on with statistics and testimonies and videos, but if we all just stepped back and thought about it, if we saw with our own eyes, if we heard with our own ears, if we understood with our own hearts, and if we turned and with a true desire to see the Lord heal us, isn't that what he said? I would heal you if you turned, if you saw it, if you understood. I would heal. I would heal. Just like if my people would pray, I would heal their land. We would see that kids generationally, maybe even some of our kids personally, are crying out for a healthy alternative. They are. They're crying out for a healthy alternative. They may not have the mental, emotional, physical, certainly not spiritual maturity to know how to voice that or to even see that. But they're crying out for an alternative. How would we know? How would we know what to look for to see that they're crying out? What would we see with our eyes? What would we hear with our hearts? What would we uh, understand? I'm going to give you something really quick. Twelve things, twelve things that indicate our kids are asking for an alternative. Twelve things that indicate our kids are asking for alternatives. One, exhaustion. I have that one underlined because that feeds everything else. When you're exhausted, everything runs amok. (laughs) Isn't that true? When I'm tired, I'm a bear. Exhaustion because they're on the phone instead of going to sleep. Of course, studies tell us that blue screens affect our sleep. Depression, probably from the variety of social dynamics that come from having access to everyone across the globe. Anxiety, probably from the mental and emotional effort it takes to keep up with everyone across the globe. You know, we were never meant to fellowship with everybody from every nation. Mood swings, and I mean beyond the normal mood swings that you might see. I'm not really just talking about teenagers. I'm talking about younger kids that aren't ready for mood swings. Mood swings, probably from feeling accepted or rejected based on how many likes they got on whatever it was they were hoping to see. Likes. Here's a few more. Constantly checking their phone could be an indicator that they're asking for an alternative. They may not know it, but that's what their soul is asking for. Do we have eyes to see it, ears to hear it, hearts to understand it? Always holding their smartphone. And this isn't even just kids. You can meet with people, and I'm guilty of it. On the phone, in social settings, not interested in non-phone 
activities. I just don't want to do anything else, but on their iPhone or their iPad or whatever screen of choice. Irritable without their phone. When they document life more than they experience it. Not too long ago, Melissa and I were. We were in a situation where a bunch of people, and I'm just going to say teenagers, where they were supposed to be having fun and doing this crazy fun stuff. And there were a few doing it, but most were videoing it. Not engaged in it, but videoing it. I'm like, what are you, what are you going to do with that? Dance with it later? And can I tell you, when that happened, the Lord downloaded this phrase. Reach the remnant. This was back in May. Reach the remnant. We have a problem. They prefer to text instead of talking. Obsessed with selfies. We were at a Concert recently, Switchfoot concert. I mean, dude, it's Switchfoot. Anyway, and we were in breaks between Switchfoot and the other band, and so we were waiting until they came on, changing the set, changing the instruments, and getting ready for the second band. And uh, our kids were—I I gotta give you props, guys—and I don't know how many of you are there, but our kids were playing and running and jumping and you know, doing all kinds of fun stuff. And some of them were sitting there and talking, and some of them were on their phones. But there was, there was a couple of girls who were sitting up against a wall, and for the whole 30-minute transition between bands, they sat huddled up together with their phone like this, taking the exact same selfie. I'm, I'm not even kidding. I almost threw up in my mouth. And I'm thinking, man, that first one looked pretty good. Why would you need to take more than a couple? I get it. Sometimes that first one's blurry. This wasn't about blurry. This was about identity. This was about some twisted version of perfection. This was about getting ready to be compared by someone, it was disturbing. I want to give you five healthy alternatives. These aren't up on the screen, so you can just listen to me. Let me me just reiterate where this is coming from. We've made a grave mistake. We've made a grave mistake. Listen to me, parents. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little bit, I'm going to get a little bit bolder right now and say, if you, no, let me just stick to my notes. We'll see if it comes up again. Five healthier alternatives. Number one, Because, think, remember, he didn't say, 
well, if I got to eat the devil's food, I ain't going to eat anything. That's not what he said. He just requested kindly an alternative. I'm not saying that you got to go put your smartphone under your tire and run, it o- run over it before you leave the parking lot. I'm not saying. I'm saying we're requesting an alternative, a different way. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So here are, here are at least five. There could probably be more. Five alternatives. Wait till they're older. Number one, wait till they're older. Because the reality is, is that a seven-year-old doesn't need a cell phone. A seven-year-old does not need a cell phone. Your seven-year-old does not need a cell phone. Your four-year-old doesn't need to walk around the house with a cell phone. Thereby learning to desire a cell phone so that they can ask for it and get it when they're seven. Wait till they're older. How old? That's, that's the thing. I don't know. Because each child has different levels of maturity and readiness for those things. My 17-year-old just got a phone because he started driving. It's the dumbest phone you'll ever see. Dumb as dirt. Wait till they're older. Number two, start with a dumb phone. Start with a dumb phone. Start, because there will come a time where they need one. I can't tell you when that is. When they do, start with a dumb phone. Number three, limit their phone. Y'all taking notes? Limit their phone. Limit who? Limit when? Limit how long? They even make apps that limit time and usage. Somebody's on the stick. Somebody has eyes to see, ears to hear, and is understanding. Limit their phone. I'll go ahead and say what I was going to say earlier. Parents, Parents who allow their kids to take their cell phones into their rooms at night are naive and possibly negligent. I knew I should have put out those waivers. I love you. I love you. but you're not having eyes to see and ears to hear and your heart does not understand, which is why we are gathered here today. Number four, inspect what you expect. Don't assume they didn't sneak their phone into their room. Don't assume that they don't have access to something that they shouldn't. Don't assume anything. Why? Because you can't trust them. Well, I can trust my kid. No, you can't. I promise. I'm not even kidding. Listen, I remember not, not too very long ago sitting with a parent who was concerned about some behaviors in their child. Described some of those behaviors 
Have you checked their phone for pornography? Well, no, you need to. That's what's going on. Turns out, (laughs) it was so devastating. Listen, kids are just working with what's been put in their hand. They don't have the, listen, I love you guys. But you're not there yet. You're not there yet. And let me just say this. Number five, model what you mean. And here's why I say that. I'm not there yet. In studying for this sermon, can I just be honest with you? In studying for this sermon and reading and, and you know, you know, what I, you know what I realized? I'm addicted to my cell phone. I'm confessing to you. I've never been addicted to anything. I don't have an addictive personality. Never got into alcohol. Drank a few times. Wasn't my thing. Drugs. Never done any kind of drugs. Pornography. Had my run-ins. Never addicted to it. Haven't looked at it in... Well, since junior high. But you know what I realized just today as I was putting the final touches? I am addicted to my cell phone. I'll let you take the time to go read the indicators. So guess what? The hearings have some big decisions to make. Because there's a lot of things that I need to inspect because I expect but don't model what I mean. I'm just being honest with you. Wait till they're older. Start with a dumb phone. Limit their phone. Inspect what you expect and model what you mean. Where I told you where I'm at. Where are you at? I told you where I'm at. Where are you at? Now, I'm not going to be a weirdo and go, I'm just going to run over it with my tire. It's the devil's tool. But here's what I, I thought about this today. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to stair-step this recovery. Instead of having it in my hands, ready to look at something or call or text or listen to while I drive, I'm going to start putting it in my glove box. I'm not going to keep it beside my bed anymore. So that it's the last thing I look at and it's the first thing I see. You guys hear what I'm saying? I'm going to try some different things. But if that doesn't work, it's time to go dumb. And I will. And I'll save money. Stand with me. Do you remember when Daniel had made up his mind that he would not defile himself and this just kindly, just kindly, simply kindly requested an alternative. Do you remember what it says? Verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. We have some decisions to make. Can I assure you that God's going to give you favor and have compassion? Anything you might need to repent for, 
He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, rich in love, full of mercy, ready to forgive, separates it from you as far as the east is from the west. And remember when it says that at the end of the ten days their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's food? Can I tell you, you are about to see some changes in your kids, in your families, in your marriage, in your homes, in your driving, in your walking, in your relating, every area. Because I'm telling you right now, an alternative of almost any kind will produce better results than we're seeing in the world around us. And the third thing I wanted to mention is this. I love this. It says, so the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Because he's not a dummy. He's not stupid. He's like, I don't know. These guys are better off. Healthier. Look better. Relate better. Amen. My wife wants to share something. Well, as the youth pastor, my heart was going out for these guys. So weep for them. And I pray for them. And I started thinking, what, what might they be thinking in this moment? And I started thinking about the parents who are dreading the degrees of change that they're going to have to make in their homes. And World War III that might break out because of it. But I want to challenge you guys right now before you leave that you have as much a part in this, your response in this, because you have walks with the Lord. The Spirit of God lives in you. Does he not? He speaks to you. He encourages you. He guides you and he leads you. So rather than let this be a fight, why don't you ask God for wisdom in this situation and see what God might do. He might blow your minds. Because I'm guessing if your parents felt anything like I was feeling sitting in that seat, they're going to go home and do some repenting and asking for your forgiveness and saying, we got to pull some things back. And so we want to pray for courage for these guys, too. When it's all you've ever known, I want you to think of as an adult. I want you to think as an adult what you have in your hands and access that you have. And if you are going to limit yourself, like Tony's saying he's going to do as an adult, can you imagine if you've been having it in your hand for as long as you can remember and asking, now I'm taking it from you. It'll be full-blown withdrawal. So we want to have compassion on them and ask the Lord to grace these kids as much as he's going to have to grace us to do that. Okay, can I close in prayer over it? Lord, we thank you. If I saw a predator coming after anyone, let alone my children, I would die fighting that thing to protect him. If, if I thought an enemy was breaking into my home and was going to wreak havoc and destroy, I would die fighting it off. This is serious. 
Lord, we, we ask that you would forgive us for being irresponsible. There may be plenty in here who use their smart devices responsibly. God bless them. But there are probably just as many who are feeling the weight of conviction on their lives right now. And know they need to model what they mean. Would you give us strength and courage to do this, Lord? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Sharpen our senses. And God, I pray right now for peace over every home. In Jesus' name, we invite your peace for every young kid, for every teenager who's going to participate and cooperate and not put up a fight. That's got to learn a new way to do some things, God. We're asking for supernatural grace over their mind. And for the parents who are going to have to make some hard calls, would you empower them now in the name of Jesus to make the tough love, do the tough love, do the hard thing. And we thank you, God, that we can have an alternative here. We don't have to be an obsessed and anxious, depressed people. We can use it for the tool that it is and still continue to live full and abundant lives. We don't have to be addicted. We don't have to be obsessed. And we thank you, God, that you've won every victory and that it is not by might and it is not by power. There is no amount of behavior modification that's going to change this. It is by your spirit, says the Lord. So we invite your spirit right now into this moment. We invite your Holy Spirit to come right now and do the work. We could not do this apart from the spirit of God. We thank you, Lord. 